It's the Atop the Pitbox podcast with your hosts, Zach and Josh. Good evening, fantasy NASCAR race fans. Welcome to the Atop the Pitbox podcast presented by ParadiseExecutiveProperties.com. On this episode, we are going to touch base on Daytona. Listen and and learn about Josh and Justin's experience down there, which I'm excited to hear about and preview the Auto Club race in California this weekend. Josh, hello from Nebraska. Zach, it's good to talk to you. Good to see you. Uh, I am here in Daytona Beach, just uh, enjoying my vacation. So a little different weather than what you have back there in Nebraska right now. To, to say I'm jealous would be an understatement, but your head looks really red. So I'm excited to see that in person. You got a little sun. <laughs> a, little, a little sun. It's, uh, it's been really nice here, mid 80s and, and really enjoying our, our little trip here. First off, well, before we get going too far into this, just want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast to be notified uh, when new episodes drop. So if that's something that you're interested, we will let you know when they are released. But uh, you can always subscribe. The other thing that I wanted to talk about, um, I wanted to bring up a story. When we did this podcast last year and you know had 100 people in the league, once the league ended, the league season ended, we, we looked towards the next season and said, okay, let's, let's try and grow this thing. And we kind of talked about, you know, what we were going to do with the website and, and Twitter and stuff. And, and I threw out a number of, of what I thought we could get to for the next season. And that number was 200. And if I remember right, you and Norton laughed in my face and, and basically told me that it was impossible and, and we were shooting too high. So we, we adjusted it down to, to 150, made 200 our stretch goal, and, and kind of used that as our expectations. Do you remember that? I, I do. So I am very happy to, to announce that our total number of entries is 207 teams, which is just crazy. We have 97 rookies. and. The crazy part is, and Norton mentioned this earlier to us, 110 teams from returning members. So even if we didn't have any rookies, we still would have beat last year uh, only by 10, but still would have been growth. So it's it's just been awesome. 207 entries. Pretty impressive, huh? To say I'm surprised, man, would it, it's, it's incredible. I, I legit thought 150 would be a stretch. It would be a reach. I, I didn't think it was impossible, but I just didn't know if we were going to get there. So to get to 207 and have 97 rookies this year is absolutely incredible. So big shout out to you and, and Nort for all the work on social media. Shout out to the rookies for joining joining the league this year. And, uh, you know, hopefully this is just the beginning. Yeah. And speaking of the of the Twitter community, um, I did want to just mention that when we started this, we weren't really sure how it was going to go, what kind of reactions we would get. And I just have to say that the, the NASCAR Twitter community, uh, everyone that we've interacted with was super cool, super helpful and supportive. We got so many messages about, you know, hey, I don't do fancy, but hit up these three people. They, they do it. Um, or referring people or just people willing to, to check out the site and, and, uh, and join the league. Super awesome. Uh, and I just was very impressed with the overall NASCAR Twitter community. So just wanted to give give that a shout out. Uh, you know, it, it's something that I didn't didn't uh, anticipate, and it was a pleasant surprise. So uh, welcome to everybody. Welcome back to the teams that have played before. 207 entries is going to be uh, an awesome, awesome year. So with that being said, let's get into some NASCAR free agency news. And we're going to start with a, uh, a little tidbit about Kevin Harvick. Yeah, so Kevin Harvick announced that this is going to be his last year racing in NASCAR. And there's a lot of stuff out on social media. Dale Jr. chimed in and basically called this the NFG Tour for Kevin Harvick, which, st which stands for No Fucks Given. 
basically Kevin Harvick's going to go out there. He's going to lay everything on the line. He's going to settle scores if if he needs to. If anybody rubs him the wrong way or he thinks he's been wronged in any way, he is going to take him out either at that race or the next race. He's not going to wait. So it's going to be really interesting to see uh, if anybody, you know, crosses him or wrecks him. And, and, you know, we'll see if Kevin Harvick decides to get retribution right away or or within a short amount of time. But uh, it's sad to see Kevin Harvick retire. I've, I've never been a fan of him, but I've never disliked him. So uh, I've, you know, enjoyed seeing him out there. He he was put in a really bad spot in regards to taking over for Dale senior, a lot of pressure on him uh, when he took over that ride, but I think he's filled that seat quite admirably. And and quite frankly, is, is one of the better races that racers that we've seen. So who should be on the lookout this season uh, if he is on an NFG tour, is there any drivers right now that should kind of be keeping an eye out for him? The the only driver that stands out to me right now would be Joey Logano. They they have had a long history. Uh, they they do not get along, or, or at least didn't get along. I don't know with them having kids and their their kids are both racing now. I don't know if if maybe that's kind of healed some old wounds uh, and, and brought them closer together. But that would be the one driver that I know is he's had a, a long history with. Uh, you think back to last year or two years ago, him and Chase Elliott were going at each other for a while. Uh, I think that's settled. I think that's over with. But again, if someone crosses him this year or he feels a, a driver races him too hard or puts him in a bad spot, uh, we'll, we'll see if he's all talk or if he actually does something. Yeah, that would be very interesting to see and, and should provide some uh, some quality entertainment for sure. We also have a couple of big contract extensions that were announced prior to the Daytona 500. So if you think about the free agency class this year, there was going to be quite a few pretty solid drivers uh, on the free agency market. And uh, right before the Daytona 500, there were some pretty big announcements made. The first one that we want to touch on is Alex Bowman uh, signed an extension with Hendrick Motorsports, goes through 2026. His primary sponsor, Ally Financial, who's done a really good job in NASCAR. Uh, they've got a really good relationship. Uh, it started with Jimmy Johnson and then it kind of went to uh, Alex Bowman, uh, but they decided to come back on board through 2028. Uh, so that locks up all drivers with Hendrick Motorsports for the foreseeable future. So that is one powerhouse team that does not have any openings or any seats available for the next, uh, call it three years. Is this is this surprising to you at all? With his track say, record and and the team the, the team as strong as it is. Yeah, I mean it's a little surprising, but uh, I think Alex Bowman's done you know, a fairly reasonable job with, with the chances that he's had. Unfortunately, last year got cut short with his concussion. Uh, he would have made the playoffs and who knows what would have happened, but uh, he wins races. He, he's not the best driver at Hendrick and doesn't, you know, it, he's not in the spotlight there per se, but I think he's to be a NASCAR driver, you've got to be pretty good. So I, I think he's a pretty good driver. Um We'll we'll see we'll see how the next couple of years goes, but uh, I know that there's a lot of people out there that think uh, he lucks his way into quite a few wins, and he has. I mean, you look at the history; he's he's just been in the right spot at the right time. But I mean, that's racing; that's NASCAR. Uh, you you got to put yourself in that spot to win. And if if the front front place driver or first place driver decides to have issues, um, you got to be there to take advantage of it. And he has so far, but overall, I'm not surprised by it. Uh, again, we'll see what this marketing deal with NASCAR, uh, TV deal comes about this year. That could kind of change how free agency works moving forward though. So we also had some news with the track house team. They announced that both Daniel Suarez and Ross Chastain signed multi-year deals to stay with Trackhouse Racing. Uh, they wouldn't say what the terms were, 
uh, but that takes two more drivers off the market for 2024. So uh, out of those two drivers, I, I'm a little surprised with Daniel Suarez, but I think he's built up a really good connection with Pitbull. They've got the Mexican heritage. They've got a lot of Latino fans that follow that team and in track house racing. So from a marketing standpoint, uh, I think it makes sense. Again, he's one of the, another one of those drivers that uh, he hasn't, I think he has one win in the cup series. Uh, we'll see if he puts together a really solid season this year, but um, I'm a little surprised by it. But again, you think about the marketing aspect and you think about the fan following and all of that, it makes sense to lock, lock him up. So do you think that we're seeing a different or a change in the way that these teams are approaching their drivers where you have an Alex Bowman and a Suarez who necessarily aren't the strongest on their team or have the, the most production, but they bring something else to the, to the table, whether that be Suarez and his, and, and, you know, his partnership with Pitbull or, or Bowman's relationship with Ally and, and, and just, you know, are we seeing a, a shift in the way that these teams are looking at these drivers? I do. I do. Like I said, it's going to be interesting to see what this TV deal does from a driver and free agency standpoint moving forward. But um, they got sponsorship behind them. They're solid race car drivers. If you think about uh, the Xfinity series, who's in the Xfinity series that are better than these two? I, I really can't think of anybody off the top of my head because the Xfinity series has really been uh, plucked per se over the last two years. And a lot of those drivers are now in the NASCAR uh, series racing. So I think it's a smart move for both uh, Hendrick and Trackhouse to get those guys locked up. And uh, we'll, we'll see if uh, maybe the pressure is off them now, knowing that they're signed and maybe that leads to, to some really good years for both of those drivers. So then who are the drivers that are potential free agents or, or drivers that we need to look out for, for additional contracts? The big three free agents that I know of are Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr. and Eric Almirola. Eric Almirola was going to retire last year, decided to come back this year. I'd be shocked if he decides to keep racing but we'll see how that plays out. And you look at Joe Gibbs racing. You got two of two of their drivers are free agents out of their four. So if, if for some reason they can't get a deal done with Hamlin and say Truex decides to hang it up after this year, they've got two open seats and I'm not sure who would even uh, fill those seats and, and what they would do in, in that situation. So it's going to be really interesting. Joe Gibbs is the team to look out for. Uh, free agency wise is they will be the hardest hit if those two drivers decide to leave uh, whether that's retirement or, or go somewhere else. So what are, where would be a possible, or where would you think would be the most likely spot that Hamlin would go if for some reason he needed to find a new team? Is it 2311? Yeah. I mean, that's if for some reason he can't get a deal done with Joe Gibbs racing, I think he'd, he'd go race for himself. Uh, he, he really hasn't said in the interviews that I've seen of him, if, if that's an option, you just have to assume if he wants to keep racing and something doesn't work out with JGR, that that would be, uh, his, his next choice. So how would that work? Cause doesn't JGR supply the parts and support to 2311. So it's almost they, like he'd be under his own team, but using Joe Kibbs still. Yeah, that you, you bring up a good point there. But you, and if you think back, uh, Toyota Racing has said that they want to expand the, the number of Toyotas in, in NASCAR moving forward. So, yes, they do get their stuff from Joe Gibbs Racing. And yes, they are basically the, the main Toyota Racing team out there uh, besides 2311. But even if Denny Hamlin would go and race for himself, I still think Joe Gibbs Racing would supply... Uh, their stuff just because they're the best Toyota team out there. Uh, I, I just don't see 2311 trying to make make their own stuff or, or develop their own stuff. They might as well just use the resources that are available to them with Joe Gibbs Racing. But you do bring up a good point. It, it'll be interesting to see if he if he races for himself, if that relationship is strained with Joe Gibbs or 
or if they, uh, you know, amicably part ways and still remain friends. It'd be interesting to see the the free agency uh, news and and the free agency moves that happened this year this year this season. Um, we had Kyle Bush last year, kind of to to talk about every week. We don't have that anymore, so we'll kind of keep an eye on these these three drivers and see how it how it pans out. So let's actually talk about a race. We had a, a race last weekend. Obviously, we're we're coming to you a little bit later than normal, uh, but. Sunday, we had a race. What'd you think overall, Zach? I thought from an overall standpoint, it was a solid race. Uh, I, w- I do wish there were th- more three wide racing. And I know this is a little bit before your time when you first started, you know, watching NASCAR. But back in the early 2000s, you, you think about Daytona, you think about Talladega, there'd be three wide racing the entire race. And for whatever reason, this this car and this package, you really just don't see a lot of three wide racing for whatever for whatever reason, that car in the middle just it doesn't go. Uh, There's been a lot of outspoken spotters in NASCAR. Uh, The one that sticks out to me is Brett Griffin. He's on door bumper clear. Uh, He hates this package and you wish we could go back to the to the old package uh, that I'm referring to. Uh, With that being said, overall, I thought it was a good race. It was what exactly what I expected. Uh, I didn't expect it to go as long as it did, but uh, from a start to finish standpoint, pretty solid race. Now you were there, you witnessed it live. Tell us about your experience and then tell us about what you thought the race was from, from a live fan standpoint. So I'm going to kind of speak for, for Norton since he's not here. Uh, But we, we got to the, to Daytona in the morning. We actually went to breakfast at Waffle House, had a nice, uh, a nice breakfast and started chatting with some NASCAR guys in line and they had garage passes. And so we're like, Oh, that's, that's really cool. And we hear this guy turn to his, his buddy and was like, Hey, you know, something about passes. And so he turns to us and says, Hey, we've, we've got these infield passes. If you want, uh, you can, you know, you can have them. So obviously we took them. So we, we were super pumped to get to the track because we knew we could get now down on the field or on the infield. Uh, we, we pull up, we start walking into the track, and I can't describe how large this track is. It is, <laughs> it is just – it is unreal to go from Bristol and then obviously I've never been to a track this large and to, to just walk up to it and just – see it is 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 insane um it is so large words can't describe um but it's really cool they had a lot of things for fans to do on the outside uh obviously the trailers there with the merchandise and stuff but um comparing it to to bristol it obviously because the track is so large they were just able to fit so much more stuff for for people to do whether that be you know, displays or merchandise or, or, or just anything on the outside of the track. So before we even got into the track, we were able to, to experience quite a lot. And then came walking into the track. Uh, you walk in and just like you do, you know, in a stadium, you, you look out and, and it's, you just see a massive, massive track. It, it, you, you can barely see the backstretch. Um, it's, it was just, it was awe-inspiring. It was very, very cool to see that, to know the history that was there and to see the, uh, the, the views from, you know, all the videos that you've seen. It was, it was very, very cool. Um, we went to the infield and we just started walking around and we kept, you know, I, you know, when we were at Bristol, we walked around, we saw a couple things and and then we were right there for the stage for the introductions. Well, because this is a two and a half mile track, the infield was almost endless. Uh, you could go see all kinds of different things. They had food, they had drinks. Um, they had a red carpet where all the drivers walked by. So we saw that, uh, you know, people walking by constantly. It was just a really cool experience for, for fans of, of, of the sport. And the other thing was you could, you could kind of go up on a top ledge and look out over all the uh the infield so you could look down at the at the pits and or the garages and and see the teams and 
it was it was just a really the way that they had it set up was was ideal for for fans to be able to take it all in so it was really awesome the driver introductions and then walked up to our seat and one thing that i i didn't realize and i don't you can see it on tv but if you don't once you're there it's really uh predominant the banking on these uh on these Mm -hmm. turns and and the 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 trioval and and the star finish line is I, i think it's like 33 degrees which sounds like a lot but when you're standing on it it's even more we were trying to get up to the uh to exit the track and we were just standing there and it like hurts your calves because it's such a steep incline so it that was something that really uh really stood out to me was the banking and and driving 190 miles an hour on on this kind of bank is is just it's, it's unreal it's something that uh i didn't i didn't anticipate you know, uh, seeing there. Um, and then we went up to the seats and we got up, we were in the the turn four towards the, the start of the pits. And it was just a, a fantastic view. You could, you, you, we saw turn four coming into the, into the back stretch. We saw the pit, you could see the pit, uh, pit road. Um, overall it was, it was awesome. I will say, and I don't know how much of it was on TV. I know some people have been talking about it on Twitter, but the flyover that they did was legendary. Like I, I can't, I can't remember ever seeing uh, planes do what they did. They were so low, they were so loud. Uh, at one point, I think they broke the sound barrier. It was, it was super impressive. So overall, it was a fantastic experience, regardless of what happened in the race. Um, it was it was a super uh it was something that i will remember forever and nascar did a great job with the experience so what what i'm hearing from you is that you want to go to every day daytona 500 from here on out honestly i see why people would do this every year it is it's awesome um i don't think i could ever get tired of of the the atmosphere now Talking about the race, um, I'll be honest. The first, the first two stages, uh, maybe the first stage and a half, I was very nervous that I had jinxed our NASCAR trips, and I was like, "Oh, we just saw the worst Bristol race ever." I'm like, "Are we really going to see the worst Daytona race ever?" Um, and it, it, this because it was just the two, it was just the two lines, and there was no real movement. There was a couple cars that was kind of you know moving up a spot or two, but. Uh, like you said, there was no third lane, so they just kind of rode around two by two by two by two. Um, so the first couple first couple stages, I was a little nervous, and then and then it kind of picked up. So, um, but overall, I thought it was a, a pretty good race. Um, I think that uh, Jeff Gluck and uh, Jordan Bianchi kind of summed it up perfectly when they said it was perfectly acceptable. So I think that was a good way to describe it. Wasn't anything that you're going to, you know, remember, you know, it's not a, a most memorable Daytona, but I think overall it was a, a pretty good one. Yeah, that's so me saying it was a solid race overall is basically exactly what they're saying. So that makes me feel good because I've been kind of beat up by by you and Nort for for my assessments <laughs> last year, but I'm glad I I'm this one you're spot ballpark. on. <laughs> yeah, Bingo. I think you got this one. <laughs> All right. One for one. So. For one for one. Yeah, this is a new year. You, you didn't <laughs> like the clash, but that wasn't a points race. So we're starting off, uh, we're starting off good. So uh, as we look at the storylines, like I mentioned, the first two stages uh, were, were pretty tame. There wasn't a lot going on on those first two stages. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing that stands out in the, those first two stages to me was, was the Reddick wreck. Uh, that's really the only true caution during that those first two stages bes- bet- uh, besides the stage breaks. Uh, for those that didn't watch the race, essentially what happened is Kevin Harvick was bump drafting behind Tyler Reddick, and and Reddick just got you know hit a little too hard, or maybe it was a little too far to the side. Uh, his car was extremely loose. On top of that, uh, he lost it and, and caused a, a decent wreck uh, and took out quite a few good cars. Uh, including Chase Elliott, Eric Jones, uh, Ryan Blaney got some damage from that wreck. Uh, so, and, and Reddick, 
in, in, the, in the interview said, no, this was not Kevin Harvick's fault. My car was extremely loose. He wished he would have practiced uh, more uh, being up front so he could have figured out the handling of his car, but his car was just way too loose to take the pushes. So that's really the only excitement that happened in the first two stages. Redick didn't want to be a part of that uh, no fucks given tour. He came out right away, right? <laughs> uh, I will say that it was uh, kind of fitting or ironic that uh, that wreck happened and took out my boy Chase and he spun out right in front of us. So his car was trashed. I was listening to him on the radio and uh, he's like, yeah, this one's done. I was like, oh, that's that's fantastic. So they towed him back to the garage and then Blaney, like you said, North North's driver was was also involved in that. But he kind of <laughs> he kind of tortured Norton because he was like he'd go to the pits and then he'd kind of do a couple laughs and he'd go to the pits. And he was just <laughs> you'd see a pack of cars drive by. And then a couple seconds later, here comes Blaney just chugging along. Um, but to his testimony, to, to his testament, that's why you do that, because he finished eighth. So that is yeah. all that <laughs> to finish eighth. But did not look like an eighth place car. Yeah, when that when that wreck happened, the first thing I thought of was was you and Nord. I'm like, their two <laughs> favorite drivers just got taken out right in front of them at the Daytona 500. That is such a bummer deal. But as you pointed out, Ryan Blaney, the damage was pretty significant on TV when I was watching it. I mean, that entire right front of that car was destroyed. But they were able to get it fixed. They put a bunch of tape on that thing. He went out and rode, like you said. Yeah, he wasn't going to have a chance to win with that car. Uh, but he stayed on the track, and he ended up finishing in the top 10 because of all the wrecks that happened later. So good job good job by his team. As much as I hated him seeing uh, you know, wrecked for Norton's fandom, uh, they did a good job staying on the track and finishing in the top 10. So then we move to the last 20 to 30 laps. And that's kind of when it kind of got really after that final pit stop where the teams were like, okay, now it's go time. And we're going to, we're going to kind of push it a little bit further. Yeah. You can, you can tell they flipped a switch after that last pit stop. And that's when all chaos ensued. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, this ended up being the longest Daytona 500 ever. And the reason for that is just the number of cautions and wrecks after that last pit stop. Did it feel long to you while you were on TV? It, it did. It did. I, I was thinking back, you know, if we were at the at the Harlan Daytona you know, party, thinking back, man, it's it's five o'clock, man, it's it's six o'clock. Uh, we still got a long, long drive home. Uh, luckily, I was at home, but yeah, it felt like the race was taking forever. And, and obviously, it finished at, in, under the lights and under darkness, too. So that just kind of tells you, yeah, that, that was a long race. I'll just say it didn't feel long to me. I wished that it could, could keep going. So uh, I just didn't know how it felt on TV. Props to you, man. That's that's one of the longer <laughs> longer races on the schedule. So if that didn't feel long to you. Uh, that's, that's wild, but you look at, you look at the, uh, last 20 to 30 laps, a uh, couple crashes. You think about overtime. There was two overtimes. The first overtime, uh, Bush and Dylan were leading, leading the pack as a Kyle Bush fan. I thought, you know, maybe this is the year that he gets, he gets his Daytona 500 and kind of checks that last box off uh, of his resume. And I was sitting there and I'm like, man, do these guys, where does, where does he choose? Does he, do they line up be, you know, outside of each other and just try to block both lanes and, and get to the white flag and just see what happens? Or do they do what we're seeing a lot in these super speedways where uh, the leader will basically go a little bit early, uh, earlier than his teammate, he'll slide down in front of him. And then hopefully that draft, uh, gets him out front and well and they and they chose that path and it worked for about <laughs> for about a corner and then it got onto the back straightaway and all hell broke loose uh which which resulted in in the uh caution for overtime one I thought Kyle Bush was done at that point I think he was starting fifth or sixth 
overtime two starts. Uh, you've got your four guys out front. You got Stenhouse, you got Larson, you got Logano, Kyle Bush is in fifth. And and I don't know if, if you guys could see this on the TV or if you saw him going into turn one on that final overtime uh, restart, but Kyle Larson, I'm thinking, has thought about what he did hundreds of times and how he would have changed that because he decided to try to go on the outside of Stenhouse and take him three wide. Well, that backfired for him big time. It ended up causing a stack up behind him and that caused a wreck. Well, when the caution flag came out, Stenhouse was the leader and ended up winning the Daytona 500 for his third career victory. Yeah, it, we were, I was watching through the binoculars as they went around uh, turn one and it was, yeah, it, like you said, it was something that he probably wishes that he didn't do. Uh, I will say that being there, I do kind of feel like I got ripped off a little bit or, or shorted a little bit uh, by not having a, a finish at the, at the checkered flag. Uh, I really was, was looking forward to that final turn three, turn four, coming down to the final lap. And, you know, the crazy moves that, that they may have, uh, you know, I was anticipating, but so I kind of feel a little ripped off. I didn't get to see that, but, uh, overall great race, Ricky Stenhouse won. Uh, we know we've, we've, uh, bashed him many times for causing wrecks. And so he gets one It's a speedway win. All of his wins have been speedway wins, but, uh, it is a win and it's a Daytona 500 win regardless, which is, which is pretty cool for him biggest win of his career and it's the biggest race in nascar so uh he's a really good plate driver uh, as you point as you just mentioned his two previous victories were at uh super speedway tracks so it was bound to happen eventually uh that team has struggled a lot he struggled really bad last year uh so uh it was good to see him you know start the year off on a good note we'll see if that momentum carries forward through the rest of the year but a one car team you love seeing these kind of underdog stories especially at Daytona and you think about it the last 11 races at Talladega and Daytona which is what we call it's what you consider a super speedway type race uh Atlanta is kind of up there now with how they redesigned that track but to me Daytona and Talladega are the two true super speedways there's been 11 straight different winners, which is just uh, incredible to me. Crazy. So overall, though, solid, solid, good race. And uh, I'm jealous that you guys went and hopefully you guys want to go back uh, and, and take me because this race is on my bucket list for sure. Yeah, we're, we're going back for sure. Looking at the results. So stage one, Kozlowski wins. Stage two, Chastain wins. The winner, obviously, is Ricky Stenhouse. And your uh, driver with the most laps led, which I think is back-to-back -back years, is uh, Kozlowski, who just can't seem to, to finish the, the job there, but led 42 laps and gets the bonus points for most laps led. Man, RFK was extremely fast at Daytona this year. They were fast last year. They were fast this year. As good as driver as Keselowski is, that, that, there's another driver that does not have a Daytona 500 win under his belt. So um, for all you NASCAR fans and diehard NASCAR fans, no, Dale Sr., uh, the Daytona 500 was the one race that he needed to check off, and he finally got it in 1998. So you've got some storylines here moving forward for the next few years. Keselowski, Truex. Uh, some big name drivers that have not won the Daytona 500 yet. So, do we have a uh, Jeff Gluck poll for this year? Is he doing it? He, he's doing it, and and uh, let's let's get it started. So, Jeff Gluck's poll this year for the Daytona 500: seventy-one percent of fans said yes, it was a good race. <laughs> I figured it, it's, it'd fall somewhere between the 60 to 75 is what my guess was going to be. So I'm not, I'm not shocked by this poll at all. Um, if you think back about the other races though, this is, this kind of puts it in, into perspective about what fans thought about this race. It ranks number five of six for the Daytona 500 in the poll. 
He's been doing this the last six years, apparently. It ranks number nine of the 13 Daytona races overall. And it ranks number 19 out of numbers out of the 31 super speedway races. So again, I think it goes back uh, the 10, 15, 20 years ago, you could go three wide and there'd be three wide racing the entire time. And for whatever reason, that just doesn't happen anymore at Daytona and Talladega. 71%. That's perfectly acceptable. <laughs> it's a solid race. I mean, 70, because isn't in his poll, isn't it? Um, is it 80% or 90% that he considers to be like the absolute best? I'll have to defer to you on that one. Okay. Know. So I think, I think it's, I think it's anything <clears throat> above 80% is considered like a great race. So 71% is, I mean, it's, it's just a solid overall race. Yeah. It doesn't look good when you look back at the rankings of past races, but again, it's just a solid, perfectly acceptable Daytona 500. So with a race means that we have fantasy standings for the first time in 2023, which are have been emailed out at this point and, and the website has been updated. So uh, if you have not seen those or want to take a look, those are where you can find that. Uh, team average, 94, which is pretty low for, for Daytona. We had a low score of 32 from Bryce Michaels, number two and a high of 161 from Craig Rao, which is more in line with what we're used to seeing at Daytona, not these 32s that, uh, that Bryce Michaels is putting up. But when we look at the top 10, a couple things jump out. We got five rookies in the top 10, so half of our field is made up of rookies. Makes sense that half of them are, are in the top 10. And shout out to Bryce Michaels, who had a really good turnaround from last year. He had the highest score of all last year, and it came at Daytona. And then this year he puts up the lowest score uh, at 32. So shout out to, to Bryce Michaels for uh, improving from worst to first. Uh, leader after week one is obviously Bryce Michaels. We're not going to go too much in the standings right now just because Daytona is such a crapshoot, and we don't. It, there's not a lot to draw off of one race. We do like to see Nancy Krejci up in the top 10, even if it's for just one week. Her team is a, a perennial bottom feeder team, so it is nice to see her uh, up in the in the top 10. And shout out to friends of the show, T-Nort and Julian, who are in 5th and 10th. So as we look at the at the standings after Daytona, Zach, what are your, what are your thoughts? I thought the team average uh... – was going to be a lot higher than 94, especially with the big name drivers that got taken out. Uh, I don't know how many teams have Chase Elliott uh, on their team, but uh, I've got to assume that he's on a majority of, of fantasy teams. And with him going out early, that just kind of set the stage for what was going to happen. So overall, I'm, I'm surprised that the average was as low as it was uh, 32 points at Daytona. That's, that's pretty low and about as low as you're going to see. So shout out to Bryce um and then again t norton julian fifth and tenth you love to see friends of the show do well so um overall nothing too crazy with with the uh fantasy standings after week one as you get moving forward here the next couple of races you'll start to see things even out because of of the number of wrecks should be a lot fewer than than what we saw at daytona hey we're gonna have to put daytona in the past as much as i don't want to uh and we're gonna have to look forward to next week's race uh, here in a couple of days, and we're going to preview the Paula Casino 400. Yeah, it's out at the Auto Club Speedway in Fontana, California, which is 50 miles east of L.A. This is called their their West Coast Swing. Uh, they do this after Daytona every year, and it's it's a way to get out to the West Coast and, and reach all those fans out, out in California, Arizona, uh, and then uh, obviously your upper Midwest. So uh, the Zach's facts of the night. I've got four quick ones for you here. Uh, the Auto Club Speedway was developed by Roger Penske. Yes, the Roger Penske, who now owns IndyCar as well as the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, kind of your home turf there, Josh. But uh, the Auto Club Speedway was opened in 1997 and sits on an old steel mill. So there used to be a massive steel mill on this uh, track of ground. 
it closed and Roger Penske said, you know what? We don't have a racetrack out in here in California. Let's throw one up. And they decided to build the Auto Club Speedway there. So I thought that was pretty cool. Your Zach's facts number two of the evening. The Auto Club Speedway produces multi-groove racing from top to bottom and has a really rough, worn-out racing surface. And it is the oldest asphalt in NASCAR. So you're going to hear a lot of these drivers say it's extremely slick. You're going to hear a lot of them say that they love it kind of brings you back to their old roots of just slick worn out racetracks that kind of puts the onus on driver talent and driver ability to to get the most out of their car fact number three and i think if you google this this is this is a pretty cool thing uh the winner gets a very unique trophy uh it is a full-sized surfboard and it's got a couple old old school cars on it like one's an old old willy if you know what that is it's got like the wooden panel sides um but it's a full-size surfboard so it's it's one of the cooler more more unique trophies uh in nascar uh, and it looks really cool if you if you google it and, and look at those pictures um but the final fact of the night is this is the final race at the auto club speedway as we know it uh, the track is going to be torn down after this race. Uh, the fans love short tracks. Majority of Jeff Gluck's polls show that short tracks are what fans like. NASCAR is trying to appeal to that fan base, and they're going to reconfigure the Auto Club Speedway into a short track. So um, the research that I've done, it sounds like it's going to be a cross between a Bristol and Martinsville. So... Um, We'll see. We'll see how that plays out, but it's expected to take 18 to 24 months. Now, with with this being reconfigured to a short track and the flaws of the short tracks that we saw last year, Josh, does that concern you at all? I just I know how much the drivers love this track. You just talked about how great it is with multiple grooves and multiple lanes and and testing the driver's skill. I don't understand what would lead them to decide to change the configuration other than money. Is there a reason other than money that why they would do this? I, that's a good question. Uh, a lot of the drivers love auto club, like I said before. So it is, it is surprising that they decided to, want to reconfigure this to try to be more like Bristol and Martinsville. Uh, I don't know if the cost of maybe repaving the speedway because the asphalt is so old and maybe it does need, re you know, replaced or fixed. Maybe that cost is just not cost inducive to keep the track around. Uh, there's a lot of dynamics involved, but I, I am surprised they want to move this to a short track or turn it into a short track, especially with what we saw last year at, at short tracks overall. Yeah. It's, it's kind of sad when they're, when they take, you know, historic tracks, you know, or, or a track that is, has done well and, and want to try to do something else with it. So obviously they're going to do what's best, what they think is best for them, but uh, doesn't make a lot of sense, sense to me at this point, when you look at the race coming up, what kind of expectations do you have it sounds like they you have pretty high expectations i i do uh, i think we're gonna see an extremely entertaining and fun race the track is worn out it's extremely wide you're gonna see drivers all over this thing you're gonna see drivers you know an inch from the wall rim riding around the top line and you're gonna see drivers at the very bottom and you're gonna see drivers in the middle this is a driver's track and that to me is what makes this track the most fun. It's to me, it's almost similar to like Homestead where you'll have guys all over the place. Restarts are absolutely crazy. The restarts here remind me of Pocono where you can just get massive runs down the straightaway going into turn one. Uh, if you look back at last year, this was the third highest ranked race in Jeff Gluck's poll. Uh, so I think this is going to just be a really fun race overall and, and one of the better races we probably see this year. As I mentioned earlier, this is Kevin Harvick's last year. Uh, this will be his last race at Auto Club Speedway. And coincidentally, this is his 750th consecutive cup start, which is just wow. 
unbelievable when you think about uh, how long it takes to do that. You think about injuries, you think about just the longevity. Uh, only two other drivers have raced 750 consecutive races, and those two drivers are Jeff Gordon and Ricky Rudd. So it's a pretty, pretty impressive feat. So kudos to the man they called a closer, Kevin Harvick. Uh, he's had a heck of a career, and uh, we'll we'll see how he does in his last race at the Auto Club Speedway. So you, you look at – I just want to throw some driver stats out here for you guys. Uh, the top four finishing or average finishing drivers at Auto Club – Kyle Busch leads the pack with nine point a 9.8 average finish. Eric Jones is 10.2. Chase Elliott is third with a 12.2. And Joey Logano has an average finish of 12.5. And if you look back at last year's race, since that was the first time this next-gen car was raced out there, Kyle Larson ended up winning the race. Austin Dillon finished second. Eric Jones finished third. Daniel Suarez finished fourth and Joey Logano finished fifth. So again, I'm really excited to see this race. Uh, and I think it's going to be a good race for all you fans to watch as well. Finally, we have our picks of the race. So last week I had Briscoe who finished 33rd. Norton had Austin Dillon who finished 35th and the winner of week one starting out strong. Zach. Bubba Wallace finished in 20th. So, Zach, you you, you lead early. We have still haven't figured, figured out our punishment, so we need to we need to figure that out. Someone threw out uh, a punishment of having to eat 10 insane hot wings or, or in, eat five insane hot wings or, or some kind of wing challenge. Um, I know we've talked about 24 hours in an IHOP, but I don't really want to eat that many pancakes. So I <laughs> no, prefer not to do that. That sounds horrible. Uh, <laughs> so we'll have to figure out what the punishment is. But so we're going to do picks in reverse order of finish from last week, which would mean Norton would go first. Unfortunately, he's not here. So he's going to be added to the end. So it'll go me and then you. So I'm going to pick first. And my pick, I'm going to go just based on historical data um it's early in the year there's not a lot of information that we have so i'm going to take somebody who has four wins there 11 top fives and 16 top tens in 23 races and uh it's your boy kyle bush that that's the guy i was going to take so uh as much as you dislike the guy i'm i'm quite shocked that you ended up picking him this early in the season yeah, I, you know, I got to get it out of the way. And I saw him run at Daytona, looked pretty good. I think he finishes, you know, second. I still got to stick with my bold prediction of, of no wins. Uh, but he'll, he'll finish higher than, than your guys' pick, so. Well, I guess, I, I guess uh, your confidence uh, is going to mislead you again, so. Um, <laughs> I'm one for one. My, my prediction is still, <laughs> it's still good so far. 35 races left my friend <laughs> i think that i think that prediction is gonna go go by the wayside here real fast but one at uh, a time. solid pick uh, that's who, who i was gonna pick so i'm gonna go to plan b here uh i'm gonna go with eric jones uh you got to get these drivers out of the way i'm gonna save some good drivers for the for the end of the season here uh he had a really fast car there last year uh and has a really good average finish there historically. So I'm going to go with Eric Jones, see if he can uh, finish better here this weekend um, compared to what he did at the Daytona 500. Yeah, he kind of had a rough a rough weekend last weekend. So uh, not a bad pick, though. I, I, I do like that one. I was, I was looking at that one as I was evaluating my, my pick as well. Do we know who Norton's picking? Nort is picking Kyle Larson. I guess he he's scared of falling, falling too far behind and, and wants to try to catch up. Okay. Kyle Larson, another, another good pick. He's got two wins there in, in eight races. So four top fives, not a bad, not a bad pick statistically, but we all know that that uh, doesn't always mean anything when it comes time for racing. And, uh, for you Chase Elliott fans out there, if you remember, this race last year is one of the final restarts 
Kyle Larson is battling someone below him. I can't remember who it was. They're going in down the straightaway. Chase Elliott takes him three wide. Kyle Larson pulls off an epic block, kind of puts Chase Elliott in the fence. Elliott is not happy whatsoever. Uh, and Kyle Larson eventually uh, goes on to wins that wins that race. So um, we'll see if maybe there's, there's anything that lingers from that, but uh, I just wanted to point that out to you since you're a big Chase Elliott fan that uh, Kyle Larson uh, ruined his chances of winning last year. <laughs> I do remember that. And uh, I, I'm sure that they will, we'll talk about that again. I'm sure they, you know, I know they did after last year's race, but Sure, they'll get brought up in the team the team meetings this week as they as they plan for for Team Hendrick. All right, Zach. So I think that is it. We are back to our normal schedule next week. We'll record on Monday night, have the episodes out on on Tuesday morning. And if you have any questions or any comments about the race or the podcast, you can leave a video or you can leave an audio message uh, through our anchor link or uh, send us a tweet or an email, and uh, we'll, we'll be happy to answer your questions. So glad to be back. I'm going to go enjoy the sounds of the ocean now, and you enjoy all your uh, ice storm that you, you're, you're dealing with. Yeah, I'm going to go out and do some ice ice angels in the uh, driveway, listen to the wind, the, the old 40, 50-mile-hour wind gust here in Omaha. It's fantastic. That's like, that's, that's like the, uh, the Nebraska ocean, right? Like the, yeah, exactly. The, exactly. <laughs> the wintry winds. <laughs> this is, we, we got tricked. We thought it was, you know, spring was coming sooner than later and nope. Mother nature's had, has other plans, but, uh, like you said, glad to be back. Love doing this podcast. Uh, we would love to interact with you fans out there. So, uh, get get in touch with us if you want us to talk about something or or just have some comments about the podcast. So uh, again, good to be back. Josh, enjoy the rest of your vacation. And we'll be back next week to talk about California. The Atop the Pit Box podcast is supported by ParadiseExecutiveProperties.com. Now is a great time to book a trip to the Lake of the Ozarks and Paradise Executive Properties has you covered. They have several modern and fully furnished homes that sleep up to 19 people, so bring your friends and family down to create a memory that will last a lifetime. For more information or to book your reservation today, visit paradiseexecutiveproperties.com.